The sun rises in the eastern sky on December 7th as the Pacific Clipper is cruising high above the South Pacific, only a few hours out of Auckland. The serenity of the flight deck is disturbed by the crackling of the radio. Radio operator John Poindexter presses the headset to his ears as he can't believe the message he is receiving. Pearl Harbor has just been attacked and have suffered heavy losses. The US is at war. The crew is stunned, staring at each other, as they realise their way home to California is now cut. What happens next is the amazing story of Pan Am Flight NC18602. Welcome to Cheeky Tales. Poindexter. That is his name, Poindexter. Okay. Well, I'm glad that's the first person we hear about. Hey, Abby. Hello, boy. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, Welcome back to Aaron's Kitchen. That was meant to be Richie Benno. That was very... I didn't That do, was a very ordinary Richie Benno. Yeah, I didn't do the chew for 22. You didn't commit. Welcome, welcome back. Welcome back to Aaron's... I was going to say Richie's Kitchen. Anyway. I am... Before we get into some pleasantries, boy, just heads up. I am calling an audible this week. Are you? I know I promised at the end of the last episode I was going to do- There were some heavy promises made about this episode graphical yeah. episode. Uh, I'm going to be honest with everyone. I was going to do it on Stan Lee. Uh, just I figured as I started like getting into his story, it was kind of similar to our last topic in the sense of it's a, a figure in that kind of- there was no mysterious disappearances or anything, but just like a liter- liter- literary figure. Thank you, a literary. Mm. Yeah, that word. I, we're about to record another episode after this, and that's my next episode. Um, I've gone the opposite of what you did and just steered into the skid of doing another mystery. Yeah, <laughs> so. nice. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. I just didn't want the, our two episodes back to back to be yeah. that kind of similar. So, and plus, I heard about the story of the Pacific Clipper. So this is a plane. This is a plane. Okay. And, it and it's was, in New Zealand at this It stage. was amazing. And I just had to do this episode. And I have fallen in love with this episode. Yeah. And I want to get a model of this plane. I want- I'm Oh, so like all me about with the it. Titanic. I'm all about it. Yeah. Okay. So yes, it's a, it's a plane. Somebody uh, please hit up our uh, non-existent Patreon and send John a plane. <laughs> oh, so uh, how have you been, boy? We get some pleasantries happening. How have you been? Good. It's Good. been a long time since we recorded. It has been a long time. Yeah. We're doing. We're recording double episodes now, so it's a long time between drinks. Yeah, was it New Year's Day? It was very close to New Year's I think New it was New Year's Day, Day we yeah. last recorded. It is the 27th of January right now. It's a whole month. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've been good. Um, yeah, nothing to report. It's all smooth sailing. Smooth flying. Sure. Mm. How about you? Yeah. Good. Cool. Just- Life as usual. Yeah. Exhausting. It's been so long, I don't know what I've done. <laughs> it's too much to hand, too yeah. much to note. All right. So, uh, do you want to get into the tale? Let's do it. All right. So, as I mentioned- Hold on. Oh, yeah. We got um, bring 2023, bring it back. Yeah, I said I was going to do it. Um, get those sticks that they use at the airport to navigate planes into the thing and point me in the direction of the story, boy. I did not promise they would be good puns. I mean, we're not after good puns, but <laughs> bit of effort. <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay, You've done it. Now um, it's, we're moving on. Has the story hit V1 yet and we can take off? Ah, good. That's a, Is that better? That's a pun for people who know their aviation. Um, stow your luggage and fold back the seat tray because it's about to take off. Nice. 
You're happy with that one? I'm happy with that one. Oh, I was happy with the V1. Um, uh, John Savage Airlines, you are cleared for takeoff. <laughs> You're the captain. No, I'm air traffic control. Oh, okay, sorry. Why would I be? Why would the captain be saying to the airline that he's clear for takeoff? Because you went like, like a captain radio over the. Because it's over a radio. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Have you ever been on a plane? Not really. I know you have. <laughs> I went on a plane with you. We did not sit next to each other. Yeah, it thanks, was great. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, as I mentioned at the uh, in the intro, um, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Uh, it's the reason why. The Pacific Clipper. Why is it called Pearl Harbor? Is it because there's pearls in it or is that just what they called it? I have never looked into that. I don't know. Well, if only we had a producer. That would be very handy. Mm. Mm. Remember there was someone that promised that they were going to produce us every episode? One episode and then (laughs) never again. (laughs) Applications open again for uh, producers. Having a Google race? Oh, I'm not Googling. I'm I'm distracted. (laughs) It is, that is why Pearl Harbor is called Pearl Harbor because it was named for that for, because of the pearl oysters that were once harvested there you from go. the waters. So I was right. The natural harbor is the largest in Hawaii. Hawaii. So I'm going to refer to this plane throughout the episode as the Pacific Clipper because that is what it's now known as. Its original name was the California Clipper and it was renamed Pacific Clipper after its odyssey. All right, so... Um, we're going to start off with some quick facts on Pearl Harbor because have we mentioned Pearl before? Yeah, I think we've mentioned Pearl Harbor. But not too much detail. Uh, I've got some titles on this episode as well. Oh, have you? You've I entered did. the title game. I have. The what title for this section is called A Date That Will Live in Infamy. Oh. That's really the only reason I wanted to have titles because I thought that was an excellent title. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it happens. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 7.48 a.m. Sunday, December 7th, 1941, the first wave of 130, sorry, the first wave of 183 of the total 353 planes successfully surprised the American Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor. At dock were eight battleships, eight cruisers, 30 destroyers, four submarines, three cutters, and 47 other ships and 390 aircraft. The Japanese planes consisted of 90 Cape bombers, Half of which were- Sorry, cake bombers. Kate. Okay. <laughs> Kate bombers. Uh, half of which were armed with armor-piercing bombs and the other half torpedoes. 51 dive bombers and 43 Mitsubishi A6M fighters, also known as Zeros. The Zero fighter. Greatest name of a plane. Did you know that opinion. they, like, when referred to, that was always referred to as, like, the Mitsubishi Zero? Like, it was- uh, Was it, like, a sponsorship? Well, they built them. Mitsubishi yeah. built them. Like, yeah, but like you don't say the Lockheed Martin whatever or the- I mean, I guess you, you do. do. It's yeah. a, like you don't say- McDonnell Douglas DC. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess that's not that weird. But like you don't say- But like, you, you associate Mitsubishi with cars. Yeah, but they also made like everything. Well, you- Yeah, well, yeah. So you, you also say- Like, like most like, Japanese companies, they seem to make like 85 different things. The like Roll, Yamaha. The Rolls-Royce Spitfire. Mm-hmm. So that was- was that were they not just an engine manufacturer, Rolls Royce? Um, they did manufacture the engine, but I think because of that, that's why they get the plane kind of named after them. Yeah, right. Okay, well there you go. Same with the the zeros. I think the engine was built by Mitsubishi. Right. Same as um, who was the major manufacturer for German in the like this the German planes? 
Um, Messerschmitt. Messerschmitt. Yeah, but who did their engines? I think someone else did their engines. Mercedes? Could have been. BMW. They, they could have been Mercedes I think engines. it's BMW. Anyway, it we're was, getting off topic. It's still a car manufacturer. Like You just mm. forget that during the war, they're just making Planes. war machines. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so the uh, Japanese did a number on the US there. Uh, you probably- Did a number on them. Or they did a number on them. Mm. You, you do probably know- Got them. There's like a well-known photo of the USS Arizona, like on fire and sinking. Do you know the photo I'm thinking of? Like, like I think I do, yeah. yeah. Like if, if you were to Google Pearl Harbor- It's like one of the first ones, that. yeah. And uh, we do that while we speak. The Arizona is still there actually in the harbour underwater and it's the one with the the white memorial on top of it now. Yeah, I believe you can see it in uh, Flight Sim. Oh, the memorial? The thing, the, the, the yeah. USS Arizona. If you go to the memorial, my sister's been there. I've seen photos. Um, if you're standing on the memorial, you can look down and like it looks like the ship is only like two or three metres underwater. You can mm. see the ship. In yeah. the water. Yeah, I think if you look at it on maps, you can see it. Like, you can just see mm. the ship there. Mm. There's also the well-known story of the USS Oklahoma, which is the one that capsized, entombing most of its crew. Uh, crew. crew. <laughs> entombing most of its crew. Most of its crew. Uh, the Japanese forces not only attacked the ships at the harbour, but also airfields on the larger island and civilian buildings and vehicles as well. I think there is a... I think that there is a story of like a um, someone who was doing filming that day, and you can see like the zeros come in and strafe them as they're driving and stuff like that, like mm. just a civilian, not military at all. Yeah, because Japan, they were like try, they were trying to piss the US off. I believe they didn't sign the Geneva Convention, so they didn't have to yeah. adhere to any of the rules of not attacking civilian things or not bombing hospitals and stuff like that. I believe I can't, I don't want to claim that hundred percent because I'm not mm. sure. Anyway, there's lots of lots individual stories surrounding Pearl Harbor, and we'll probably cover them in a future episode. Almost certainly. But uh, that's it for this episode for Pearl. Uh, now we're on to some, ready for this title? Stats. That You called it stats. Not statistics. Nope. Stats. Stats. Cool. All right. Get into the stats. So the Pacific Clipper, as I said earlier, was not always known as that. It was known as the California Clipper. The plane was a Boeing 314 flying boat. Okay. So, you know the 90s cartoon tailspin? No. Not with the one with the bear that flies the plane, Babu, Baloo, that fly. you know? Hang on. Tailspin cartoon. Yep. People out there, if you know tailspin. Oh. Nah. It doesn't really ring a bell for me. Okay. Oh. Oh, nah. Yeah. Rings a bell, but I still don't know it. Anyway, the, the clipper, these um, Boeing 314 flying boats kind of remind me of the- the plane from the cartoon. Right. Um, so, it, again, like I said, it's a flying bloat, boat. It was designed designed to uh, take off from and land on water. Yeah. It doesn't have pontoons like a seaplane like you'd, you'd see now, but it's um, like it lands with the bottom of its fuselage, like its belly. That's the thing that oh, okay, yeah. touches the water and takes off. Does so it, it's kind of shaped like a boat keel. Does it have pontoons? Nope. Oh, so it just floats on the belly. It floats on the belly. Oh, so it's a boat with wings. Pretty much. It's why mm. they're called flying boats. Not a more accurate name doth never been known. Mm. Some specifications. It would be run by 11 crew, including two cabin stewards. Yeah. It could take 68 day passengers or 36 sleeping passengers. Okay. Uh, and also, I believe it's and or, it could take four and a half tonnes of mail and cargo. 
Sheesh. So it could take a, it'd take a load. This is like the early days of flight too. Uh, yeah, they were put in service in the late 30s as well. Hmm. So at the end of the episode. Of we're only like 10 years at this point, 10 years past biplanes. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I do. Uh, this era is just crazy with how quick everything changed. Mm. The, the length uh, was 32 metres with a wingspan of 46 metres and a height of 6.2 metres. So I've, I've read somewhere that it was described as it's not much different from a modern day 747. Like that's the size of it. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. That's huge. It's massive. Empty weight of 22,000 kilos and a gross weight of 38,000 kilos. What makes it gross? Thank you. Best joke of the podcast. <laughs> yes. I was, I was fully going to answer you like this. Took when two it's- years, but we did it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be powered by uh. four twin cyclone 14-cylinder air-cooled piston engines. Yep. Which could pump out 1,600 horsepower each. 1,600? Yep. That's more than my golf. <laughs> what is the horsepower on your golf? Uh, 156? No, nah, it's like 249 or something. Okay, so each engine is eight golfs. 216, I don't know. Mm. So eight golfs, four engines. So you've got 32. Ask me what the power of my car in kilowatts is. No. Oh. What's your power? 169, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So what, what, you got 32 VW golfs on the wings of this plane, mm. power-wise. That's an inefficient way to power your plane. <laughs> <laughs> they weigh a lot. <laughs> the wings are top mounted. Yep. So as you can imagine in today's commercial airliners, the wings are kind of like mounted on the bottom of the fuselage. Mm-hmm. They've done this in these ones, obviously, to keep the propellers away from the water. Yeah. Otherwise, it's uh, there's actually not like a great idea. specific names for that. There is. Can't remember them. I didn't. But know I know that. that it's a thing. Yep. Top mounted, bottom mounted. Yep. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> Uppies and downies. Had a max speed of 340 kilometres per hour and a cruising speed of 303 kilometres per hour. That's quick for a car, slow for a plane. Mm. Mm. And a range of just under 6,000 kilometres. 6,000. Mm-hmm. That's not bad for that time. Uh, obviously, there'll be a photo for the socials. Yep. Um, do, have you looked it up? I have not looked it up. Look so it up so you know Pacific, what I'm talking about. Cl- the, just look up Boeing 314. The Passy Clippo. Boeing 314. Yep. Boeing 314. Here we go. Oh, look at it. It's There's awesome no plane. way that thing's as big as a 747. It, oh, and the other defining feature is they've got the three tail fins on the back as well. Uh, tri-wing. Tri-wing. Uh, tri-tail. Tri-tail. Yep. Tri- tri- yep. Yep. Making up words. Apparently it's the- I, I told you it was 46. Name of plane tail with three bits. <laughs> I told you it was 46 metres wingspan. Boy, that's, that's a football field. How wide Empanage. is it? How wide's an NRL football field? 50 metres? Yes. There you go. That's the wingspan of this plane. So, yeah, that'd be... That's a, we'll look up the wingspan of a 747. I'm, I'm quickly looking at... Multiple things. What, how would you describe it when it's got the three vertical bits? Vertical stabilisers. Yeah. Name three of three vertical, vertical stabilisers. Stabiliser. Yeah, that one. Triple tail. What? Yeah, it's just called a triple tail. Why is, why is this the photo that they use to describe a triple tail? It's a plane with all of its tail destroyed, so you can't see how many tails it had. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Stupid. So what am I looking up? The wingspan of a 747. Wingspan of 747. 224 feet, a, a 68 metres. And the, this one's 46 metres, so. 
It's about a third. Two thirds. Cool, cool. Cool. The plane would be part of Pan America's service. So Pan Am. Uh, Pacific. No, that's, is that what Pan Am stands for? Yeah, Pacific America. Pacific America. Would be well, part- I don't think it stands for that. I think it's like Pan American Airlines. Yeah, Pan. I, I'm going to refer to them as Pan Am from now on, but yeah. Would be Everyone part- knows Pan. Part of Pan America's service to take passengers long distance over the Pacific. Mm-hmm. A trip from San Francisco to Honolulu would take 19 hours. Jeez. It's long. That's like a six-hour flight now, isn't mm. it? Eight hours, maybe. It was also built for luxury. Mm, with, as most things were in this time. Oh, yeah. And they had, um, like, as part of the deal of flying with this in these boats, you get five and six-course meals. Nice. That's more courses than I've ever eaten. And they would be prepared in a full galley by chefs from five-star hotels. Luxury hotels were built throughout the Pacific to help with refueling and overnight stays for passengers. These were the first commercial air routes across the oceans, but it was pretty much only for the rich. Yeah. As a one-way trip from San Fran to Hong Kong costed $760. Which is? In, this is in 1939. Yeah. Roughly equivalent to $13,000 oh, today. There's no way I'm paying that much <laughs> to fly anywhere. Per person. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. Boeing made 12 of these planes. Nine were purchased by Pan Am and three were... Uh, purchased by the British Overseas Airline Corporation. British Overseas Airline Corporation. Yeah. Very um, specific in their naming. Mm-hmm. British Overseas Airline, Airline. Operation. Yep. Corporation. The BOA. Oh, BOAC. Yep. Yeah. And I just realised later on BOAC was mentioned and I never put it down because I'm like, what does that stand for? No, I, I, just, I just connected the dots then. BOAC. Next title. Mm. Routine flight. Oh, okay. Cool. I'm guessing it was Routine. Until it wasn't. Um, I kind of gave that away in the intro. Good guess then. Mm. Pacific Clippers saga started on December 1st, where it left the Pan Am base on Treasure Island, San Francisco. Treasure Island? Yep. En route to its scheduled destination, Auckland, New Zealand. I've been there recently. Treasure Island? No, I know. Auckland, New Zealand. No, you muppet. Auckland. Mm. How was it? Eh, It's the Brisbane of New Zealand. (laughs) And it was like- it was like dreary the whole time I was there. It's very weird. I'll say Brisbane of New Zealand with crappy weather. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Lovely country though. The plane. If you're from New Zealand, check out Birdie Internet. That's <laughs> B-R-D-Y. That's right. It is spelt messed up. Birdie Internet. Are you plugging yourself? Yeah. You, you cannot plug unless there's some sponsorship money. So, yeah, All right. Like, yeah, sure. Fine. I'll only plug if there's sponsorship money. The plane was helmed by Captain Robert Ford. And first officer, John H. Mack. H. Mack. H. Mack. The first stop along the trip was San Pedro, California, where they would pick up a man who went unnamed to fill the second radio officer role. So they stopped there to pick up their second radio officer. Okay. Do they have passengers at this point? Uh, maybe. It just seems funny if you're like, hey, guys, we just have to fly over here because we have to pick up someone else to be on the plane. Uh, No, they did have passengers because, like I said, they left Treasure Island from... San Fran to go yeah. to Auckland. So, oh, so they would okay. So they had to fly somewhere and pick some bloke up. He kind, couldn't just make his way to Treasure the, Island. It's kind of on the way. I know, but like you know, you're paying thirteen thousand for this flight, and you got to go out of your way to pick up some bloke to work a radio. Well, you say that. Mm. Unfortunately, he'd become ill and was hospitalised. So they didn't pick him up. Nope. So they flew all that way for no reason. Correct. They have radios. John Poindexter. Yeah. He was on board the flight, 
yeah. on the first leg because he was validating uh, the performance of a new radio set. Okay. Hearing so the- just to be clear, they had radios. They could have called ahead and said, hey, old mate's ready, right? But they didn't. They just arrived there and went, where is he? And then he didn't get on the plane. This is early 1940s. This boy. is pretty bad service for $13,000. Okay. I mean, it sounds pretty luxurious in these planes. I'd probably want to spend as much time as I could in it anyway. <laughs> it's no wonder uh, Pan Am doesn't exist anymore. Well, actually, I didn't look that up when they went out. That was one thing I was going to. I didn't. Pan Am? Let yeah. me find that for you. I'll continue while you do that. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, John Poindexter was on board validating the performance of a new radio set. Hearing that the other guy was hospitalized, Poindexter agreed to stay on for the rest of the trip. What a legend. Uh, and as he was senior to Hendrickson, who was the first officer or first radio officer, um, he kind of assumed that role of first officer and Hendrickson took on the role of second officer. Very nice. 1991. Oh, that wasn't really that long ago, 30 years ago. but No. It was identified by its blue globe lo- logo, the blue meatball. The use of the word clipper in its aircraft names and call signs and the white uniforms caps of its pilots. Nice. Mm. So they departed for Honolulu, Hawaii the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sorry, not the same day. Yeah, not the same day. Or oh, I got December 1st and then say they departed on December 2nd. Anyway, they departed for Honolulu, Hawaii on December 2nd. <laughs> Either the same day or the next. Well, it comes up later again because the two sources I was using for information kind of had conflicting dates for when they left certain areas. Sure. Um, anyway, December 2nd, and we're having a uh, crew rest in Hawaii. So they got to Hawaii having some rest. This is one thing that, like, I don't think people know too well about early air flight is that- It took a long it time. It took so long and you yeah. had to land somewhere and then it's like, oh, well, the only crew that can fly this plane has to have a day off. Yeah. So then, like, you just hang out somewhere for a day waiting for your crew to be ready to go. Yeah. So the reason why I think they landed in the same day or maybe they were there the next day or whatever is because there was a story of Poindexter yeah. um, shopping in the morning for a spare shirt. <laughs> Because he had only planned to yeah. go from- Sorry, folks, we can't take off our uh, radio operators yeah. to go buy himself a shirt. Well, he only planned to go from Treasure Island to wherever they were picking up the- Yeah, old mate. Uh, which was San Pedro. San Pedro. So he had, he had nothing. He had yeah. little to no money. He had no yeah. spare clothes. Nothing. Lucky, lucky bloke. He only had the clothes that he was wearing um, and now one clean shirt and a few dollars for the entire trip to Auckland. That's all he had. And the return trip, uh, we, it wasn't meant to return to San Fran until December 10th. So leaving December 1st. That's 10 days to fly to and from Auckland. Yep. Mm. Nothing unexpected on the scheduled trip. Stopping for fuel at Canton Island and in Fiji and in New Caledonia. That is, like I said, nothing happened until two hours out of Auckland. In the early morning sun, they received the message that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. You know, the slightly weird thing about this is that World War II, it was already underway. Like, it was, yeah. At this point, yeah, but- the... But not the in the European, Pacific. Yeah, but the European theatre is already underway. Yeah, but we're so, in the Pacific. Yeah, I know. But like, like the opposite side of the planet. Yes, but it's just strange that like World War II was happening mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, let's fly to Auckland on our plane. Mm. Yeah. And it, yeah. So they get the call early in the, or early in the Auckland sun. Correct. Captain Ford ordered radio silence and had been given a secret letter before departing and knew this was the moment to open it. Yeah. So they kind of did have some things. He, this is why he had the letter in case war broke out. Bust open your letter. It's going to give you instructions. Yeah. This was a high-tech aircraft for the time. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, there was a massive target put on its back. Yeah. The letter explained that the crew must deliver the clipper 
to the American military, and if they couldn't, destroy the aircraft and sacrifice their lives doing so. Whoa. No, thanks. It also instructed them to scrape off any identifying markings from the outside of the plane. Okay. So they were told, get rid of all your markings, and if the plane's going to fall into like German or Japanese, destroy the aircraft, killing yourself. Uh, No, thanks. I'm a civilian. I guess that was- I guess I'd probably prefer to die then. Yeah, like I said, this was was a high-tech aircraft for its time. So long range, carry heavy loads. You can see the- yeah. Wanting to do that to get Bombers. Bombers. <laughs> so I also believe that at this point, <laughs> landing in Auckland, New Zealand, the 12 passengers making the trip had disembarked. Yep. And they kind of just gone on their way. Yeah, see ya. We might stay here for a while. <laughs> Peace out. So the crew haunted the US Embassy in Auckland every day for a week waiting for communication from Pan Am headquarters. Yeah. Finally, they received word. They were, re- they were to return to LaGuardia Field in New York. LaGuardia is the airport in New York, in case you didn't know. Yeah, LaGuardia. LaGuardia. What did I say? LaGuardia. No, I mean, you pretty much said it right. Yeah. But they were not to travel east, not to okay. go back over the Pacific. No, they were to head west the long way. Mm. They still- head west? So they had to go, like, what, Africa to Europe? But Europe's at war. They still had little to no money, only having enough for the scheduled trip they were originally on. They also didn't have maps or charts for the direction they were to go. I'm not sure, this is part of the story I couldn't confirm. I'm not sure if they borrowed an atlas from a library or stole it, but somehow they obtained an atlas from a New Zealand library and that's what they were going to use to get home. They stole a a book. How are you going to get it back? Yeah, I know. You're in Auckland. If you're borrowing it or stealing it, you're not returning it. Yeah, it's gone. Next title. Yeah. Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. Have you seen that movie? No. Didn't think so. Take me home. Did you even know it was a movie title? Pacific Clipper. Did you even know it was a movie title? Okay. So they're planning to head west. Take me home. First stopping at Sydney. Aeroplane. Yep. (laughs) You trying to sing like country roads to- Yes. John Denver, country roads. Yes. So they're they're planning to stop at Sydney. Yep. Uh, But as they were preparing for departure, Captain Ford received additional instructions. Mm -hmm. Return to Numea. Remember they stopped it. Yep. Um, Numea. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Is Numea the, the city of New Caledonia or is it the other way around? Numea is a city in, in New, Caledonia. New Caledonia. Yeah, so they were yeah. to return to Numea and evacuate the Pan Am personnel and their families to Gladstone. So they had to go back to Numea and then come across to Gladstone. Gladstone as in- Queensland. Yeah. Yep. Oh, right. Okay. Why would they go there? That's just the instructions they were given. Okay. They departed Auckland Harbour late in the evening of December 16th, heading northwest to Numea. They maintained the radio silence, landing in the harbour just as the sun was rising. Captain Ford went ashore and sought out the Pan Am station manager, telling him to round up his people and that they only had one hour and could bring one small like, bag of luggage. Yeah. Meanwhile, the crew uh, okay. refueled the plane and two hours later, fully fueled and carrying a barrel of engine oil and a spare engine, the Pacific Clipper took off and headed west for Australia. Right. Okay. I now understand the the evacuation thing. I thought it was the people on the plane were evacuating to Gladstone. No, no, they had people yeah. in New Media, so they're getting they were, out of there and, and yeah. evacuating. And because Gladstone, Queensland is pretty much directly west mm. of New Caledonia, rather than yeah. heading southwest down to Sydney, and they're just Sydney coming across. Yeah. Late in the afternoon, the green coastland of Queensland appeared on the horizon. Yeah. Captain Ford began a gentle descent for landing at the harbour in Gladstone. Yep. 
There, they offloaded the passengers they picked up in Nimir and continued removing identification marks from the plane. Did they know they were coming in Gladstone? I don't think so. Right. This first section of their journey home, not many people knew they were coming, and we'll get to that. Yeah. Good, good gut check, boy. Captain Ford recounted, and I've got a quote from him. I was wondering how we were going to pay for everything we were going to need on this trip. We had money enough for a trip to Auckland and back to San Francisco, but this was a different story. In Gladstone, a young man who was a banker came up to me out of the blue and said, how are you fixed for money? Well, we're broke, I said. He said, I'll probably be shot for this, but he went down to his bank on Saturday morning, opened the vault and handed me 500 American dollars. Since Rod Brown, our navigator, was the only one with a lockbox and a key, we put him in charge of the money. That $500 financed the rest of the trip all the way to New York. Wow. So just random dudes just like, Hey, you got money? Here you, you go. go. Have some money. Yeah. <laughs> 500 American. So yeah, I where are these people in my life? Huh? <laughs> well, I don't know what the conversion rate is between Australian dollars and would Australian dollars even existed in 1941? No, it would have still been pounds at that point. Yeah. So, British pounds. But still, like, where are these people in my life? And $500 then to now, what's that convert? Like, what did I say? Yeah. Was seven, 760 was 13,000. So yeah. $500 would be like 10,000 or so. Yeah. Sheesh. The next day, they headed northwest. Destination, Darwin. Coastline or coastal jungle gradually gave way to arid stretches of grasslands and sand dunes. Spinifex and gum trees covered the land all the way to the the horizon. A problem the crew saw, or well, didn't see, was a river big enough to land in. Yeah. Uh, If a problem occurred, they would have been forced to land like belly land in the desert and their trip would be over. And their lives, most likely. Oh, you could probably belly land not too bad. Yeah, but like who's going to find you? Yeah, true. As, however, as they approached Darwin in the late afternoon, massive thunderstorms stretched across the sky, lighting up the cockpit with continuous flashes of lightning. Ah, land in the water in the clouds. <laughs> Darwin is the northernmost city in Australia for, I guess, non-Australians listening. Yeah. Uh, and thus the closest to the spreading conflict. It's mostly crocodiles and drunk people. <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. So, yeah, da- da- the conflict was heading... Down through Asia, yeah, into the Indonesian type of thing, like because Japan's pretty much directly north from Darwin, yeah. Um, so they were a little concerned with that. Yeah, I they, would be. Too. They wanted to get in and get out as quick as possible. Yeah, Darwin did end up getting bombed. An interesting fact is that more bombs were dropped on Darwin than there were at Pearl Harbor. Yeah, so there yeah, you go. People, I guess we're just made of tougher stuff. Anyway, after they had landed, they were offered a place to shower and change. That was so dismissive of, like, the hundreds of people that died in <laughs> the thousands. I'm like, I guess we're tougher, eh? <laughs> so, um, sorry, America. That one was a bit rough. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So, yeah, they were offered a place to shower and change. Yeah. Uh, and much to their amusement, their locker room, in air quotes, locker room, turned out to be an Australian army brothel. Oh, an army brothel. An uh, Australian army brothel. Like organised by the army? I guess so. That's all it said. It was, I'm like, oh, I've got to put that in there. Yeah, that's okay. I didn't know that about the army. Do you want, <laughs> Jeez. Do you want to Google Australian army no, brothel? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one alone. <laughs> Again, their attention turned to the plane and it needed refueling. Only one problem. No fuel. No, there was fuel, oh. but it was stored in five-gallon jerry cans. <laughs> and each one, each one had to be manually hauled up onto the wing and emptied into the fuel tanks. Nice. Yep. What a system. This why, took a, why is it stored in five? This took a couple of hours to do. Of course it did. Why were they stored in such small containers? I guess they weren't 
equipped to- Were they just for mowers or something? Oh, that would have been for fighter planes. And you don't need as much fuel in a fighter plane than you do- So you need more than five litres. I guess so, but you're not going to need 100 jerry cans to fill up a fighter plane compared to this thing. Yeah, you're going to need more than five litres. Yeah, they're just not equipped. Five gallons, not five litres, five gallon jerry cans. Right, so that's still only like, what? 15 litres? Yeah, I don't know what it is, what the conversion is, but yeah. I guess they're just not equipped to refuel a large plane like this. I'm sure not many places were at this time. No. So, yeah, like I said, this took a couple of hours to do and they finished just after midnight. Yeah. The crew managed a few hours of sleep before they were on their way again. Like I said, they wanted to get out of there as soon as possible because of the chance of conflict. Never having been to Darwin, I kind of understand that. <laughs> <laughs> this time... Um, like I said, they're on their way. This time, 2,300 kilometres west across the Timor Sea to Surabaya. Right. So they're out of Australia now. In Dutch East Indies, which is now known as Indonesia. Yep. As they approached, a single Bristol Buford fighter rose to meet the clipper. Then several more jo- uh, fighters joined the escort. The big Boeing was an unfamiliar sight to the British pilots, and the signals that were given to Captain Ford in Australia were inaccurate. Tensions rose. Mm. The fighters drew closer and the Clipper's radio system was playing up. Uh Uh-oh. The Pacific Clipper could hear the British pilots, but the British pilots could not hear the Clipper. For many minutes, the squadron of fighter planes discussed if the Clipper should be shot down or allowed to land. Uh, So could you imagine you're flying this plane and and you can can hear hear these blokes discussing whether they should shoot you down or not? (laughs) Yeah, like- I just did arm signals. No! Yeah, like terrifying. Out the window. At last, a British controller granted them permission to land. But then he added, if they do anything suspicious, suspicious, shoot them out of the sky. Yeah. Relieved, Captain Ford began a very careful approach. <laughs> he did not make any sudden movements with that yeah. plane. No sudden movements, boys. But, oh, that would be so terrifying. Like, you could literally be able to hear them and not respond to be like, oh, should we shoot them down? smile and wave out the windows. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> smile and wave, We're boys. Good. We're good. I swear. But, like, these pilots have never seen this plane before. They don't no. know if it's a German plane. It, they don't it know does if it's seem a- odd that there was no way for them to tell that it was Pan Am at this point. Well, they'd scratched all their markings off. Yeah. So they couldn't be identified. True. 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 As they neared the harbour, they could see that it was filled with warships. So the captain set the clipper down in the smooth water just outside the harbour entrance. They spotted a small boat that came out to meet them, but the boat stopped a little distance away, which confused them a bit. Uh, they could see a man standing on the boat, waving and screaming at them. Have you got to check what's happened to you? They've landed near the warships. Have they, they blocked the exit? No, they've landed outside in the smooth water. Yeah. Away from the warships. Turns out they landed the plane right in the middle of a minefield. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hence why the boat was staying away. Yeah. That's not what you want. If there's one thing I don't want on the sea, it's to be in a minefield. What's well, not- People don't understand like sea mines. Yeah. Like, have you seen the cartoons having like the big spiky balls yeah. on the chain anchored to the- Yeah. yeah. So they, they've landed in the middle of, of those. Not good. Obviously, they were able to taxi safely out of the minefield and they didn't. They weren't told that they were in the minefield until they got closer to the boat. And the bloke was like, you were in a minefield. They're like- Oh. Huh? What? Yeah. Another unpleasant surprise for the crew at Surabaya was that they were unable to replenish- Fuel with 100% octane fuel. Right. 100 octane fuel. Uh, uh, yeah. No, 100% octane. That's what it said. Is it 100 octane? Yes. Okay. So 100 octane aviation fuel. They only, the uh, 
at the port where they landed, they only had small reserves left and it was severely rationed for military purposes. Yeah. However, there was an abundance of 76 octane. 76 octane? That's so low. 76 automobile octane fuel. Yeah. So the the cheap crap fuel that you put in your car now, like the the cheapest of the fuel. Not the ethanol one. No. no. That's 92 yep. or 91. I think E10 is 91. Mm-hmm. Um. Even, like the premium fuel that you put in your car now is like 98. 98, yeah. Yeah. This is in Australia. It might be different in other countries. Yeah, so abundance of 76 octane automobile fuel. Almost water. <laughs> the next stop was many hours over the Indian Ocean at Trincomalee. Okay. Uh, which is on the eastern side of what is now known as Sri Lanka. Okay. Flight engineers Swade Roth and Jocko Parrish formulated a plan that they hoped would work. They transferred all their remaining aviation fuel into the fuselage tanks and filled the remaining tanks to the limit with the automobile fuel. Yeah. Quote from the captain here, we took off from Surabaya on the 100 octane, climbed a couple of thousand feet and pulled back the power to cool off the engines. Then we switched to the automobile gas and held our breaths. The engines almost jumped out of their mounts, but they ran. We figured it was either that or leave the airplane. Yeah. It's a bit of a ballsy move just to go, well, we'll give it a try. We'll find out what happens. So, yeah, they burnt off all their 100 octane. Yeah. And then switched to the lower octane once they're at cruising altitude. Good on them. Good on them. I guess, like, your instructions were to die with the plane. Yeah, or get it back type of thing. So, As I said, their destinations was Trincomalee. As they approached the island, they could see a heavy cloud bank ahead. At this point, they were worried about missing Sri Lanka and... Uh, it concerned them that they could be flying over India, lost and out of fuel. So they descended to stay under the clouds, like to be able to see land as soon, yeah. as, as, soon as possible. Yet another surprise was waiting for them. Right in front of them was a Japanese submarine. Ugh. The crew could see the Japanese sailors running for the deck gun. Captain Ford jammed the throttles forward to climb power and shot up through the clouds. They quickly left the range of the submarine's guns, but not before the sub got a few unsuccessful shots off. Sheesh. <laughs> So they came down out of the clouds just in the ocean. They're like, oh, Japanese sub, up they go. Yeah, like uh, I left the quote from the captain, but he was like, and wouldn't you know it, right in front of us, a Japanese sub. Like wow. just as soon as, bam, power on, yeah. back up into the clouds. See you. Um, landing in Trincomalee an hour later, British forces were there, were anxious to hear about what the crew had reported from the war zone to the east. Captain Ford told his story of the Jap sub to a pompous Royal Naval Commodore who doubted the captain would even know what a sub was if it ran over him. So he's like, we just seen a Jap sub out there. And he's like, you wouldn't even know what a Japanese sub was if it ran over you, type of thing. Okay, sure, mate. So, yeah, he was a bit of a jerk. But- Such a British way to yeah, act. Yeah, Captain Ford, he, he didn't want to agitate the situation because he's like, we still need to get out of here. We yeah. still need fuel and all that. So he kind of just right, shut mate. his- yeah, yeah, I guess I don't know what a sub is. He kind of just shut his mouth. Shut, oh, shut does his Subway mouth make them? <laughs> Did Subway exist in 1941? No, of course not. No. So now it's Christmas Eve. Yeah. Uh, and the clipper would take off and be heading northwest. And that was supposed to be home on the 10th, right? Yes. Yeah. She was heavily loaded and struggling in the thick, humid air of Sri Lanka. Suddenly, there was a frightening bang. The number three engine had let go. Oh, jeez. It shook in its mount and could be seen with gushing black oil pouring out of it. The engine would be shut down and the clipper would return to Trincomalee. So like an hour later, they're back 
Yeah. Back in Toronto. Yep. The repairs on the engine would take the rest of Christmas Eve and all of Christmas Day. One of the engine's 18 cylinders had failed, tearing itself loose from its mount. While the repair wasn't overly complex, it was tedious and time-consuming. Yeah. So the cylinder on an engine boy, what part is that? Is that the little... That's the piston. Not not the piston. The little ones, like the... With the big long... Valve. when they say, yeah, a valve is that when they say a cylinder on an engine, do you know what it's referring they'd to? They'd be talking to, they'd be talking about like the whole like cylinder. So it might, it might be just a single part, mm. but um, when you throw a cylinder, it's usually that you break this, like break the cylinder itself. Okay. Yeah. So they had four engines with 18 cylinders each. That's a lot of cylinders. Yeah. My golf only has four cylinders. <laughs> You're a tiny boy. That's a lot of cylinders. He's so small. Little small. Little small. Actually, think about that for a second. They made 1,600 horsepower, right? Yeah, 18 cylinders. Yeah. That's like- Less than 100 horsepower per cylinder? Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's like 80 horsepower a cylinder or something. That's that's pretty good Yeah, for those days. Yeah, cool. Well, like I said, this was top of the range technology yeah. at the time. So repairs done. Uh, early morning of December 26, the Clipper and the crew left again from Tricomalee, bound for Karachi, India, and they would touch down mid- in mid-afternoon. Mm. In Karachi, they would unload the spare engine that they had been carrying since Namir, and Pan Am had ordered one of the two mechanics who had been with them on board since Namir as well to remain there and set up a, like a maintenance base. Some minor repairs were also done here. I think it was like the, um, the lever for the um, propeller pitch. Needed to be repaired, like yeah. nothing, nothing serious. After all the tasks were complete, they set off on the next leg on the morning of December 28th. After a routine eight-hour flight, the Clipper would land in Bahrain. Again, here they were told that only 76 octane fuel was available, and the other mechanic received instruction. Remember, there was two mechanics with them. Received instructions to remain here as well. The next plane stopped was Khartoum in Sudan, which was a southwestern flight over Saudi Arabia. Captain Ford would submit his flight plan, but it kind of got rejected by the, um, I guess, whoever was the flight person in the tower or whatever. Yeah, right. Coordinator kind of rejected it, saying that the path would take them directly over the holy city of Mecca, which apparently is a big no-no. Oh, okay. There's, there's still like didn't a no-fly zone over Mecca today. Like they don't fly planes or anything over Mecca. Oh, right. I did not know that. And apparently there's like some conspiracy theory that birds don't fly over as well because they have like a magnetic field in play or something. So Mm, That sounds plausible. But there's a no-fly zone over uh, Mecca. Yeah. So Captain Ford filed an amended plan instead flying north to Kuwait before turning west and they departed the morning of December 29th. Right. So nearly every day they're they're doing a flight, resting, taking off the next day. Okay. Yep. Really working hard. I imagine it would be hard work. Yeah, I mean, in those days, you actually had to fly the plane. So, and plus, these aren't plant flights; they're making it up as they go. Mm. With, like the Atlas, they stole. They're like, okay, this is about as far as we can go. We'll land here. Yeah. Do you know if there's like an airbase there or an air terminal? Where and they have to fuel? avoid like conflict zones. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. So it, it was overcast that morning, and the Clipper would climb up through the cloud cover. Another quote from Ford: "You didn't hear the yawn, but Aaron just yawned. Yawned. <laughs> I've doing it all day. I know." Another quote from Ford. I, I really like Ford. He seems like a bit of a larrikin. Yeah. Um, just like from some of the quotes I've read. And this one goes, we flew north for about 20 minutes and then we turned west and headed straight across Saudi Arabia. 
We flew for several hours before there was a break in the clouds below us. And damned if we weren't smack over the mosque at Mecca. I could see <laughs> the people pouring out of it. It was just like kicking an anthill. They were, they were probably firing at us, but at least they didn't have any anti-aircraft. <laughs> so they were told, don't go this don't way because it. you they can't do it. Anyway. They did it. And then just as they get there, the clouds part and here's this plane straight over the yeah. mosque. It's just like, what are the chances? Oh, I I don't know why they would do that. Like, you just, you're just going to piss people they off. They want to get home. Yeah. There was also a story, I didn't include it, but a couple of the days or weeks before, the Saudi Arabians actually, like, shot down a couple of British fighter planes that had flew over Mecca. And Yeah. Um, I think the story goes they buried them up to the necks in the desert and left them there. Oh, jeez. Like, so it's like a, it was, it's a no-no. You're not meant to, yeah. not meant to do that. In Khartoum, the clipper would successfully land in the Nile, uh, but there was no wharf there. So Captain Ford went ashore uh, uh, and he was told by a British commander to wait. A VIP was arriving on board another flight, which was the Bow, the British overseas. Oh, Boak. Boak. Yep. That was that flight. They were bringing in a VIP uh, and they required transport to Leopoldville. Right. Uh, Captain Ford reluctantly agreed. Turns out the VIP was the wife of some minor British official and she had weaseled her way onto the list. Right. She was never identified though, but apparently she just weaseled her way on and I need to go here. So they departed. No thanks. Mm. They departed on January 1st, 1942. And during the takeoff, a piece of exhaust from one of the engines dislodged, producing noise and smoke. But the risk was deemed acceptable and they continued on. Right. This was a long overland flight. Um, but they would safely land on the Congo River in the late afternoon. A pleasant surprise awaited for them. So this is a nice surprise this time. Yeah. Two familiar faces had greeted them at the dock. A Pan Am airport manager and a radio officer had been dispatched to meet them. Yeah. So they kind of were expected at this place. They also had a cold beer waiting for them. Nice. And Ford would remark this was one of the high points of the whole trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. After this whole stupid trip, you're like, oh, my mate, and he's got a beer. (laughs) He's got a cold beer waiting for me. I knew you'd like that part. (laughs) I left that part in just for you. Departing Leopoldville on January 3rd, and I'm really hoping you can hear that awesome audio texture of the mower in the background. Can yeah, you? there's a mower, there's <laughs> cicadas. It's, it's a noisy place. Uh, so departing on January 3rd wasn't easy. Uh, for this one would be the longest leg on the entire journey, covering 3,100 nautical miles or 5,700 kilometers. And two, I said, yeah, didn't I say that? I'm going to start that again. Okay. Departing Leopoldville. Leopoldville. Thank you. Departing Leopoldville on January 3rd wasn't easy. For one, this would be the longest leg on the entire journey, covering 3,100 nautical miles or 5,700 kilometres. And two, the takeoff was a bit hairy. In what way? The clipper was maxed out on fuel. Yeah. Because- Yeah. Yeah. It's a heavy boy. To the brim. I can't stress that enough. It was full. Yeah. Still carrying the barrel of oil too from Nimir. Yeah. Putting it bump- bluntly, she was overloaded. Yeah. Like, she, she heavy girl. She thick. Captain Ford pointed her nose downstream into the wind and pushed the engines to full throttle. They also had like a six-knot current helping them down the river. So they're in the Congo next to the city, um, next to the, the city. The weather was against them as well. So when I say that, the air was hot and thick and humid. Thick. So if you know how like the air works over a plane wing. Yeah. Thick hair, not great for lift. 
So they're overloaded. Well, thick air would be good for lift. Not in this sense, I don't think. It said that the thick air wasn't great for them. Okay, yep. Um, Maybe it's not good because it's so humid for the engines? No, I, th- I think the like when you get cruising altitude, the air's colder and a bit thinner, so it's it, it goes over the wing yeah. easier. I think the thicker, hotter air is – it means that it's not going to perform as well. Yeah, I, I think thick air is good, but anyway, doesn't matter. Yep, thick air bad. That's what I've heard. So just past the limits of the town, the river changed from a glassy, smooth water – into a torrent of rushing rapids and pillars of rock, broke the water into tumbling maelstroms. Okay. So Captain Ford kept the engine at max and pulled back on his control, trying to get past that V1, um, trying to get the big bird in the air. And just before they would enter the rapids, just like a movie, the hull lifted free of the water. But they weren't out of trouble yet. The clipper was flying, but only barely. Just. Beyond the rapids was a steep gorge, and it was as if they were flying through a canyon and the clipper fought for every inch of altitude. Yeah. The engines at this point had been at full for nearly five minutes and the temperature gauge was now pushing past the red line. How much more could they take? But she did. Although- I was trying to make a Star Trek thing. <laughs> I cannot give it all she's, I've given her all she's got, Captain. She can't take no more. I cannot reach the control panel. <laughs> the Simpsons one. So she, she did climb, although slowly- Foot by foot, and then when they were clear of the gorge, Ford pulled back on the throttles, back down to climb power. The crew took a moment of silence just to listen to the engines, and they roared without missing a beat. But this plane is performing well well for what it's been through. It shouldn't be performing this well, really. <laughs> they turned west and headed over the Atlantic towards South America. So they start, they're starting to get close. They're starting to get close. Yeah. One source said, this, this is also like conflicting things, one source said the flight lasted for over 20 hours. Well, another source states that it was nearly 48 hours. Yeah. In any case, it was long. And just before noon, they would land at Natal in Brazil. Right. They were expected here. Uh, and after resting and refueling, they wanted to leave for Port of Spain. I keep going to say for the Port of Spain, but it's actually called Port, Port of, of Spain. Spain. Yeah. They wanted to leave for Port of Spain as soon as possible. Didn't you just say they were going to South, South America? Yeah. And now they're in Spain? Yeah. Okay. Because the Port of Spain is in Trinidad. And Trinidad Trib- and Tobago. Trinidad, right. yeah. What okay. did I say? Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. Not Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> so that's where the port of Spain is. Yeah. Okay. So you with me now? I'm with you. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So they wanted to leave as soon as possible because like you said, they're getting close. Yeah. Refueling was done quickly, but they were told uh, there were new health regulations. Um. New, yeah, new health regulations were put yep. in place and the interior of the plane had to be sprayed for mosquitoes ah. to control an outbreak of yellow fever. Yeah, right. Okay. And then it would have to be remain like and then it would have to remain sealed for an hour afterwards. So they did that, and during the time the flight engineers would attempt a repair of that exhaust that broke free. After takeoff, the exhaust repair immediately failed. <laughs> and <laughs> about like I did it. <laughs> and about an hour into the flight, they made the discovery that the safe on the flight deck had been opened and all their papers and money had been stolen. Oh. This wasn't confirmed, but the assessment was the exterminators were actually spies and they had taken the material. Mm, that's so annoying. <laughs> so for, for the rest of the trip, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, the clipper landed at the port of Spain. Again, the crew got some needed rest and then the exhaust was repaired by PM mechanics. Properly. Yeah, as there was a station there. 
In the afternoon of January 5th, flight NC18602 took off on the final leg of its journey to New York. What was the date again, sorry? January 5th. Almost okay. one entire month. Yeah. After le- no, it is over a month after leaving San Fran, but... Yeah, it's, over, it's a month since they got to Auckland. Now, you'd think I would say that they landed in New York and nothing happened. New York, New York. Nope. We got more. <laughs> There's more to this story. Just before six in the morning on January 6th, the control officer in the Marine Terminal at LaGuardia was startled to hear his radio come to life. On the radio, it said, Pacific Clipper inbound from Auckland, New Zealand. Captain Ford reporting overhead in five minutes. Yeah. In one final kick in the nuts, <laughs> after a month of flying, yep. the Pacific Clipper was made to circle for nearly an hour. Oh, why? Was there nowhere to land? You imagine how annoying that would be. Yeah. You've been flying for a freaking month to get home and they're like, uh, sorry, mate, you're just going to have to spend another hour in the sky, thanks. <laughs> it was because no landings were permitted in the harbour until official sunrise. Oh. <laughs> you're kidding. Nope. Not until there was enough light for landing. That's They weren't allowed to land. So they probably could have because I'm sure oh, it was yeah. still twilight at that stage. Yeah, they definitely could have. That's annoying. And in one final twist, as they taxied into the terminal, the aircraft struck a sandbar. Oh, really? Yeah, no So dam- it got stuck. No, no, it was undamaged. Oh, I don't okay. believe it was stuck too bad, but yeah, it still hit a sandbar. Still, they're like, <laughs> come on, I just want to get out of this we're, thing. We're here. Yeah. And now we hit something. <laughs> the Pacific Clipper and Imagine crew- how annoying it would be if you oh, hit something and, and got sunk it. Stuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're three feet from the top. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! A month. I'm going to go through how long they were in the end stuff. Yeah, the Pacific Clip, the Pacific Clipper were home. Yeah, and oh, sorry, the Pacific <laughs> Clipper and her crew. You've stuffed me up. The Pacific <laughs> Clipper and her crew were home. Just, I mean, they left California yeah. and they're oh, oh, but they're home. They're in, yeah. they're back in America. They're back in their country. Yep. Yeah, they actually set a lot of records doing yeah. this. It was the first round the world flight by a commercial airliner. Yep. The longest continuous flight. Not quite. They needed to get back to the other side. <laughs> the longest continuous flight by a commercial plane. Yep. The first circumnavigation following a route near the equator, crossing the equator four times. Yep. They touched all but two of the world's seven continents. So Antarctica and Asia. Uh, I think doesn't no Sri Lanka and uh, Karachi. Oh, India. Africa. No, they landed in Africa. They landed in the Congo. South America. What's the one they didn't touch? Then? Europe. Yeah. We didn't yeah. go to Europe. Um, Jeez, you'd almost want to just like duck yeah, up and down. Duck up and down, do it, wouldn't you? Uh, they flew 50,000 kilometers in 209 hours and made 18 stops in 12 different nations. Wow. Like, as much as you wouldn't want to do it, it sounds fun. <laughs> Does it? Like a little bit. Like yeah, you're doing just, an around the world trip, in, flying your plane in 30 days. And like nobody had done this before. Yeah. Like that actually sounds kind of fun. I don't ever want to do it. The, Certainly not in that time. The but. trip across the Atlantic from Africa to Brazil was also the longest non-stop flight in Pan Ham's history. And I believe yeah. that record stands today. How long was it? That was the one that was, what did I say, 5,700 kilometres. There's no yeah. way that's the longest non-stop flight still. For Pan Am. Oh, I mean, still, they flew 747. I'm pretty sure that's what I, I read. I haven't okay. got it written down, but I'm, at the end of the little thing, that's what it said. And this record stands today. Yeah. Okay. After the war, the plane was sold to Universal Airlines, but was damaged in a storm 
and ultimately salvaged for parts. Oh, what a sad end. Yeah. None of the 12 planes remain today. Oh. The war helped get airfields. So, like, before the World War, I guess long con- concrete runways didn't exist. Didn't yeah, exist. It was all grass. Uh, and they had to make them for, like, heavy bombers and stuff. So, yeah. that kind of killed the flying boat. Yeah. So, none of them remain. Um, they were all dismantled and stuff like that. RIP to and, real ones. Yeah, they weren't needed anymore. Yeah. Obviously, landing in water is much more damaged than- What was it? The Spruce Goose? or Is that the Simpsons one? The Spruce? Uh, there is one very similar to that. It's like the Spruce- I think the Spruce Moose is the- Simpsons one. It's the Spruce Goose is the real one, I think. Yeah. H4 Hercules. The Spruce Goose. Uh, and the Boeing 314s, they were succeeded by the Lockheed Constellation and the Douglas DC-4. Oh, the Spruce Goose only flew once. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it was too late to be used in the war. Oh, yeah. Anyway. And that boy ends the saga of the Pacific Clipper. That is a good story. Like, can you imagine? Like you're said, like, let's go somewhere. And then literal world war breaks out yep. and you have to spend a month to get home. Going, yeah. The opposite so, way like, to what you thought you were going to go. And remember, a lot of the times they left in the morning and landed in the afternoon. Yeah. They were chasing the sun. Yeah. For constantly. A, yeah. But then the other thing is like, they still weren't home. They were still on the other side of the country yeah. to where home was for them. So it took longer than a month to get home. Yeah. I think wow. um, I didn't include it, but I didn't write it down. But um, the Pacific Clipper did fly again. It left from uh, New York to one of Pan Am's or some military um, congressional meeting or something. Yeah. And it, it, it was another 33 hour flight or something. So did it not fly again? Um, it did. A couple of trips. Did it get used for the war? No, but some of the um, clippers, the yeah. bombing, they did get um, used for the war, but I don't believe this one did, no. Oh, so it just kind of- So they did all that work to get it back and then didn't use it for anything. Well, they didn't want it to fall in enemy hands. That was the main thing. Well, just leave it in Auckland. <laughs> oh, well, the war was pretty close there. I guess, but then just destroy it in Auckland. There's only 12 of them. I don't know. <sighs> Yeah, it did get used. I think they said when it was yeah. salvaged for parts, it had clocked over a million flight hours. Right. A million? It said a million, yeah. No way it was a million. Was it not? Maybe not hours, but maybe like miles. A million miles. Mate. A million miles? Yeah. John? I read I read one million. Over one million. Getting the laptop back out again. I've still got my sources open. <laughs> That's no. The, the moon is 250,000 miles away. It would have to fly to the moon and back twice to get to a million. Well, it went around the world once, so it wouldn't put it out of the question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't think you're right. I read it somewhere. So this one here is a thing from the Washington Post. It says the Pacific Clippers record for longest commercial flight by mileage still stands today. What was the record? For longest longest commercial flight by mileage, which might be encompassing the entire trip around. The entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, even their longest flight of 5,700 would be dwarfed now. Like, I think I flew, I flew like, oh, that's miles. No. Yeah, like New Zealand is like 2,000 Ks. Where is it? Where did I read it? Yeah, this one also says the Pacific Clippers record for longest commercial flight by mileage, 31,500 miles. Yeah, so it's the full flight. Yeah. Right. Well, that makes a lot more sense. It's going to make a lot out of me now. Wikipedia, come to my rescue. Here we go. <laughs> the last Pan Am 314 to be retired, the California Clipper, which is the Pacific Clipper, yeah. in 19, so it was the last one to be retired in 1946, had a 
completed more than a million flight miles. Right. So that wasn't, that's a lot of miles. So it must have got used quite a lot. Yeah. If you think this one flight that took a month was 31,000. Yeah. That's just it. it. It racked up over more than a million flight miles. It's a lot of miles. What's the little citation say? <laughs> this is a lie. Yeah. One of the 12 Boeing 314 Clippers built, oh, sorry, of the 12 Boeing 314 Clippers built, three were lost to accidents, although only one of those resulted in fatalities. 24 passengers and crew aboard the Yankee Clipper lost their lives in a landing accident at the Cabo Rievo seaplane base in Lisbon, Portugal. That was in February 22nd, 1943. Uh, some prominent American author and war correspondent was in there. Oops. Pan Am's 314 was removed from scheduled service in 1946 and the seven serviceable B-314s were purchased by the startup airline New World Airways. Right. Okay. So they had a life afterwards. Mm-hmm. The last of the fleet, the Anzac Clipper, NC18611A was resold and scrapped at Baltimore, Maryland in late 1951. Oh, gee, so they lasted a while. They did. Yeah. Well, good story, boy. That is an epic trip that they it took. Is, it is um, compared to the Odyssey. What was uh, our mate's Odyssey, the Greek Odyssey? Abe. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know the real one. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I know what you're talking the about. The Greek story. Um, I yeah. can't think of his um, name. Her, not Hercule. Um, not Hercules. Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Someone will be screaming yeah. at us. If we had a producer, <laughs> that would be helpful. Like I said, I heard that story. Someone gave like a, a 30 second yeah. synopsis of it. I went, I need, to, I need to find out about this plane. Yeah. I need to tell this story. This needs to be a movie. It's... It, the only thing that I feel sad for them for is that they wouldn't have had time to do anything. It'd just be like, get in the plane, fly, get out of the oh, plane, rest. Well, they were just trying get to get home. <laughs> yeah. They didn't really want to do anything. It wasn't- yeah, for a, a month. I mean, if you were doing it as a sightseeing thing, you'd want a bit of time in each thing. But yeah, like you said, war had broke out. Yeah. You want to get home. I guess we're they did gonna, see Mecca. We're either, yeah, we're either getting home or we've got to kill Die. ourselves, destroy yeah. the plane. Right. Yeah, I guess maybe not look at anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, good episode, boy. Thanks, boy. I, I, re- I want, like I said, I want to get a model of it. Yeah, I want to, like, get it. Do it. Just do it. There's, there'll be one out there somewhere. It's part of my heart now, this story. There, this there will be one of them out there somewhere. Mm. I'm sure you could get this one. Mm. Yeah. Pacific Clipper. Well, if you enjoyed the story, uh, maybe you should um, hit us up on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cheeky Tales Pod on all of them. There will be supplemental pictures. I've got a picture of the plane. I've got a picture of its like route marked out across a world map. Very useful um, to see that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can uh, let us know what you think of the Pacific Clipper. Should it have been called the Clippo? I think it should. The Clipso. Turtle clip of my heart. Something like that. Um, maybe better than let's, that. Let's make this story a movie. I want to get this story out there. I want more yeah. people to hear it. If you it. work for Warner Brothers, <laughs> hit us up at Cheeky Tales Pod. Or, um, or Universal. Yeah. 20th Century Fox. You, look, we're not committed. At this stage, we've signed no movie contracts. So <laughs> I'm happy for anyone to hit us up. Um, yeah. And uh, have a chat. Let us know what you thought. Uh, it would be great if you could. And follow us so that you can get everything in your eye holes every month. And your e-holes. Yep. And then subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so that you can get it straight to your e-holes 
uh, when we release them on Tuesdays fortnightly. Um, it is me next fortnight, boy, uh, and uh, it's another mystery. So get another prepared. mystery. You are deep in the mysteries at the I'm moment. Deep in the missies. You love your mysteries. That's right. I do. You want to tell us what it is, or just wait? I mean, yeah. I'm going to find out in about five minutes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you can all wait. You can sit there and you can wait. I'm building suspense. Anyway, good night. Enjoy your your fortnight. We'll see you again soon. Good night, everyone.